Hello and welcome to the Fellowship Phase, an Adventures of Middle-Earth podcast. I'm Josh and that's Callum and that is Scott. And we're going to give you inside information on how to find your own way through Tolkien's world. Towering above other men, this Bjorning stands out in any crowd, bristling with weapons, spear, dagger, war hammer, and axe. No great axe, though, not yet. A warg pelt drapes across his shoulders, its head acts as a hood. His dark, deep-set eyes are framed by his long matted hair and gnarly thicket of a beard. A tattoo rakes its way from his left shoulder down to his wrist. The marks of a great bear's claw. Carhu the Elder strikes a fearsome presence. Yet underneath all this is a gentle, haunted soul. He's aged beyond his years, the trauma of his youth filling him with the rage he struggles to control. Battle is where he feels at home, ripping, tearing his enemies to pieces, as was done to his family long ago. Hello. 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 Cam, you promised us a joke. You said you were going to kick <laughs> off with a joke when we were, before we started recording. The joke was that there is no joke. Oh, well. <laughs> I see. Welcome, Scott. <laughs> Welcome. I feel like because uh, the character we're talking about today isn't much of a joker, I didn't feel it was appropriate to make a joke. That's very sensitive of you, Cam. I didn't just think that up right now because I'm drawing a blank on the joke from... I think that was a good example of improvisation. One of your key skills oh, as a dungeon you. master. <laughs> um, we should probably also tell the listeners about the time excitement that we have, which is that we're recording in person and we've ordered food, which may arrive while we're ordering uh, recording the podcast. It is second breakfast. Very late for second <laughs> breakfast. Never too, it's never too late for second breakfast. <laughs> well, we're delighted to finally be joined by Scott, a.k.a. Carhu who has been with us from day one yep. of the game and who whose character has really grown to be the key member of the Fellowship in some ways and has been integral to one of the many potlines, I would say. Yeah, yeah certainly <laughs> earlier on, I would say. And then again more recently. I have... You and I have spoken about this. I have quite strong feelings about Carhu. Positive feelings, but I have very strong feelings so about Carhu. And I've been looking forward to having <laughs> you on for so long to talk about it. And how important I think Carhu is to our story. And probably some lessons that we've learned as players mm-hmm. and as a lore master. And whilst I have a million questions, perhaps we should start with the beginning. Creating Carhu. Who, if I'm right in thinking, was your first roleplay character you created? I... I had never played d and I always thought it was too nerdy. Yay! Um, <laughs> um, my brother, who has been on the podcast before, Stuart, um, he'd been trying to persuade me to play D&D for years, and I always laughed in his face. <laughs> um, and then COVID happened, and Callum suggested that, look, we can't do anything else, why don't we give this a go? And I am so grateful, because... It was probably one of the things that got me through the pandemic, and it has also introduced new friends. Like, yeah. I'd never met Josh, I'd never met James. It's been amazing. Yeah, and we were all, we were all at your wedding, which is... We, yeah, <laughs> which is amazing. 
Several mm. nerdy beginnings. That was, yeah. that was a real fellowship phase. It was. <laughs> that was the, the real life fellowship phase. <laughs> See, there was a joke coming. We just needed to get there. So, in terms of character creation, then, so you'd never yeah. done. Had you played like role playing video games? Video games, so you massively. had a sense of like so, yeah. creating a character. And I, I had been watching Critical Role for okay. years by that point, oh. so I, I was aware of D and D, and. Grog was my <laughs> starting point. Yeah. Really, I was like, right, what character do you think is going to be easiest for you as a noob? A big idiot that hits things. Okay. Um. So. I did not know that. That yeah. was where you started. Okay. Yeah, I was at like, that, I think, it's like that, that might be the easiest thing. Is I also, I, I think I'm comfortable in saying I know the least about talking out of our group so playing someone with very low intelligence also leans into it you know nothing about talking you just want to hit things <laughs> <laughs> so i knew i was starting with a slayer in this rather than a barbarian what a great way to start i suppose that keeps it easy isn't it you're like how do i want to play i've never played before so let's keep it easy i'll yep. make this decision yeah did you find it easy when you started playing well, how did you? How, do you remember how you felt those first couple of sessions coming into it? Scared. <laughs> I, um, I I felt quite a lot of pressure for some reason. In a way, really? yeah, I've been like, this is a this is a group thing rather than a video game where it's me. Mm-hmm. I would only play one player experience video games, so there's no multiplayer online thing. I was like, well, you're actually interacting with other people. You need to make this fun, not just for you, but for other people as well. So I, I was genuinely quite tense. Really? Our first few sessions, yeah. Oh, um, I did not, did not realise that. Yeah. I um, I think it's fair to say that you and Stuart were the certainly beginning the two quietest mm. members of, of the group. And then yeah. it's been really great to see you become really comfortable in the group and become more um, like vocal parts of the, of the group as time has gone on. And I wondered, you said there you'd played a lot of like single-player RPGs. Um, mm. Certainly growing up with, with my brother, one of the things that we always loved doing was video games that were cooperative. Was that mm. something that you and Stuart did? Or was there, is we, there many good co-op RPGs? I don't know if you and I ever really played them. I think Stuart and I just used to pass the controller. Yeah. Right. Um, so we'd, we'd do it until somebody died. Or until you got to the end of a level. Yeah, that's what I am. And then we'd swap. And so we we grew up doing that together. We we spent hours. We never had a console, uh, so we would have like a t- two terrible computers and spend hours. We spend more time trying to get co-op games to run <laughs> on computers <laughs> than actually playing games. Um, and I think for me, I kind of wish that RPGs had been in my life earlier because they were they, they sort of resemble the gaming experience that I always wanted in video games that I could never find, which yes. was something that was truly cooperative and and collaborative in its approach yeah. and now that I've found it I find it kind of hard to go back to video games sometimes because mm. I'm like it's just so limiting and like I don't get that sort of social aspect that I, I crave That's interesting and this is probably a whole other discussion away from Carhu but I have recently, I was studying for a long time so I kind of got out of video games and I finished studying so I've got lots of free time the games I've gone back to are very different to the games I used to play because oh. I also mm. used to play a lot of like role playing games yeah. And now I have very little interest doing that in a video game sense. Whereas I'm, I think I now play games that are very much you could only play 
on a video, like very much like yeah, platformers, true, quite yeah. an artistic style. Because mm. I'm like, I feel that it needs the medium of the video game to make this work, and I want to play it for this reason rather than like chasing a, an experience, a role play experience, which is just better in person than yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we played in person, like for oh. the first time. I'd I'd never played in person um, with Josh running Strad for us for like a whole weekend, and genuinely. One of the best weekends of my life. Yeah, that's it was incredible. So good. Yeah. Well, we'll need to do it for AIM, and maybe we can record snippets of it or something. Oh, that would be cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Well, just think, so from Carhu, beginning in Carhu, not having any idea what was going to happen, and just yep. thinking, I'll just hit things, yep. that's brought you all the way to weekend-long sessions of role-playing games, new <laughs> yeah. friends, weddings, and everything. So, yeah. making the character then. Yes. How did you find... So you, did you have that kind of character concept of something like Grog, a kind of... Yeah, I, I knew Barbarian mm-hmm. from watching the first campaign of Critical Role. So when Callum said we were going to be playing AIM, um, I think Stuart instantly got us a book. Like, oh, just yeah. before oh, um, Cuba Yeah, Cole. we talked before about, an episode zero of this podcast, we talked about how, yeah. how fortunate timing-wise yeah. we were getting just before they yeah. disappeared. That's, that uh, Stuart's very much like that, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he just goes and he commits to something yeah. and just gets it. And I'm, all, I'm a bit more like standoffish and takes me really a long time to commit to buying something, <laughs> um, which sometimes comes back and, and to bite you, doesn't it? <laughs> like, oh, like, it no longer exists. Can't buy it now. Yeah. That was that's really good. So you yeah, you've so, shared a book. Yeah, so we shared yeah. a book and then Stuart very kindly got me a book as well. Um, so I. I I wish I could say I like looked at other <laughs> classes, but I instantly was like, "No, you you have this in your head. You're playing a slayer." Yeah. So I went straight to page seventy-two or whatever it is, and and went straight to slayer and didn't even really look at any other options. Yeah, I like that. Partly because I didn't want to know, because I knew Which other one? people would be playing different yeah, things, and I was like, "I don't want to know what they can do." Yeah, it's awesome when someone. Levels up and has a new ability, yeah. and you haven't read about it. It's and you're really like, exciting. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah. So how do you? How does one build a slayer? So if we've started with the, the class, uh, feature. So, uh, I guess it, it's a very martial. You know, it's kind of what you would imagine. It. It's got a d12, uh, hit dice. Sort of really hardy, and you get proficiency in pretty much all. Um, weapons and armor apart from heavy armor I think and your saving throws are strength and constitution and you get a, a choice of skills so from animal handling athletics and intimidation nature perception survival and I I think remember that you probably took athletics and intimidation I did that, yeah yep. yeah he's quite an intimidating guy <laughs> <character>, I'm not <laughs> going to lie um, and so next question What's the next question? The core mechanics of, of a slayer. So yeah. most of the classes get in the first level or two the thing that kind of defines what they do. So for um, for uh, a, th- a thief, it is not a thief. What are they called in this? Treasure, treasure hunters. hunters. Terrible is that? I was reading like You're third fired. edition rules. Um, treasure hunters. Mm-hmm. It's all about sneaking, sneak attack, uh, being able to dodge, um, hide as a bonus action. Thank you. I was glitching there. Um, what are the core mechanics then for a slayer? What are the things can you get up front that then define what the class does? I always think of Travis saying, 
I would like to rage. Yes. Um, whereas <laughs> in this, it's fury yes. instead, um, which is awesome. And I think in story purposes, in a fight when you're like, ah! yeah. <laughs> just, just want to like lose it and go and hit something. Um, that that for me is kind of what Slayers are all about is you live to fight that that is your whole purpose is you want to hit things you want to feel the horrible visceralness of being in a battle the uh, the battle furies all I think you do a really good job when you're playing Karhu of making that a really thematic moment yeah. and although sometimes it can you know, there's not maybe as many like options outside of combat. I think that it, it kind of makes combat a role-playing moment in itself. It's yeah. like, you know, kind of, well, why are they angry? Yeah. You know, what's happened to this person in their life that they're like this? Mm-hmm. You mentioned that in your briefly in your intro, and we'll come on to that in a, in a future episode where we'll, we'll do a more of a deep dive into Ikaru's story. But, um, yeah, it's a really powerful ability, isn't it? Particularly that resistance to damage, mm. particularly in a game like AIM, where, as opposed to 5th edition, there is a lot less other types of damage. Mm-hmm. So pretty much all damage is going to be bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. And you're resistant to that. So it almost makes me feel like this is more powerful mm-hmm. in, this, in this setting. I, I think Barbarians are pretty powerful in 5th in edition anyway, but I, I think the Slayer in this game is a really powerful option. Yeah, there's much less of a like, martial caster disparity than there is in D&D, which is always a big hot topic at the moment, but there is a more of a martial game. It's a much more grounded setting. Something I really like, because I'm currently playing a, a warrior, as Halmir, they're the two kind of classes which are built around com- martial combat. Mm. All of them can operate in combat. Warden has some abilities, and Wanderer does as well, but those are the two that are really frontline fighters, as it were. Yeah. They're very different flavour, though, and I think yeah. our character's are very different flavour, and I think the Battle Fury really sums it up, because it, it, it feels like a very different style of fighting. It's kind of raw and kind of much more emotional, and it gives you, like, your buffs, your advantage on strength checks and strength saving throws. Um, you get bonus damage mm-hmm. and your resistance to damage, none of which a warrior gets. Mm. But a warrior has a lot more kind of small options that give them... But It feels almost like a kind of more controlled mm. type of melee fighter. And I like when we're fighting alongside each other because ultimately we both hit things yeah. in a very different way. I mean, I've loved, particularly early on with Almir, <laughs> when you tried to implement, like, <laughs> st- structure and tactics and Carrie wow. was like, no. sod that. I'm gonna, that. I can hit him. I'm not going to wait in line. <laughs> Like, you wait here, you coward, and I'll go and hit him in the face. It took, I think it was a bit of character development for Halmir, realising that actually you running in and hitting things was the best thing to yeah. do. It's, it's amazing, actually, how much, like, and I think this speaks to the way that you guys play your characters, is that I think sometimes the criticism of, of D&D and these sort of games can be that combat resolves around bags of hit points and hitting, and you know, like, it, it, it can be reduced into a very mechanical thing, and... And when combat is good, I think it's partially down to who's running it in order to try and like create interesting situation and objectives which aren't just kill everybody or be killed. And aren't just, you know, everyone's over there or there and, and make terrain. And we've talked about that before. But the other side of it is on the players to be having those like role-playing moments, even within combat where you're, you know, this even like between the two of you, you're both martial abilities, but like 
you know, and you can allow that in the game to like say like is there, you know, I'm trying to do that sometimes like Carhu runs in and does something and Halmir had this tactic. And so, you know, just allowing you the opportunity in the middle of combat, even though I think rules are written sometimes, it's like, well, you're only six seconds and you can't speak. Yeah. Like, having that role-playing in there. Like, yeah. Matt Mercer talked about this recently. Uh, I can't remember what it was on, but he was talking about how the rules can sometimes get in the way of the fun. Mm. And I think that's yes. a real thing, is, like, the combat, like, not not being, like, so prescriptive. And I used to be like this, and I think of become a lot more relaxed about actually if you want to talk in combat talk all you want like yeah. if the players actually want to do role playing then don't stop stopping them yeah. like you know, there's a, little, a bit of a limit to that they're sort of like being too tactical and stuff but uh, so yeah the battle fear is a key thing and then reckless attack yeah and unarmored defense is a sort of like level one yeah. starting point and i think those are really defined the characters they're pretty similar to the barbarian aren't they they're um yeah. there's there's not much difference so I think at second level you get vigilant senses, so you you're more likely to detect things, and then at third level you choose a path. Yes. So what path did you take? It's a sort of the subclass. Um, is it hammer? Full hammer. That's what. Um, that instantly made sense to me for Karu. Um, I, I the other ones, the rider. I, I could never envisage him being on a horse um, I think to go away from like this part of it but as a Bjorning it never made sense for me in his head to ride an animal no. as a no. as a servant sort of thing wow yeah that's the point so he is just going to hit things harder <laughs> and get more ability to hit things harder it is a re- actually we've now got a, um, Brendan has started running a, a role a Rohirric character who is the rider, and it's really cool coming seeing that. I'll maybe talk to him about that at some point. But and then the other thing that um, comes to mind is that as a party, you had a pony for a while. What was yeah. his name again? Oh God! Your horse that goes around with you begins with pensive. Yeah. Pensive, pensive. The horse, love that name. Um, kind of very, very normal horse, not very heroic horse, but, you know, it's, done, it's very much like... Um, not a horse you'd ride into battle, Not has very, helped carry yeah, on. Yeah, very much um, Bill the Pony. By yes, <laughs> very much yes. so. Bill the Pony, amazing. A real hero of uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. And uh, there, so you've never really had mounts or horses. It's been a lot of walking. And at the moment, I'm running another campaign based in Rohan off the sort of uh, published um, scenarios for that. And... Oh my god! <laughs> all being on horseback changes so much. It changes the journeys. It changes the combat. It's quite complicated, and there's loads of rules around it. I really like it, but it is is it's very different. So I'm quite glad actually, in a way, that people didn't have horses because <laughs> uh, it would have made things a lot more complicated. Um, so yeah, the four hammer. What sort of benefits is, does that give you as a slayer? Starting at third level, gain the full benefits of your battle fury whilst wearing heavy armor. Hmm. Yeah, because the hmm. the base class kind of discourages armour, and I think it's another point of difference between warriors who are much more martial in a kind of soldierly way, like they would be trained and equipped in different types of armour, whereas that's not really the, the basis hmm. for a no. slayer or a barbarian. But this kind of almost reverses hmm. that and makes you a, a slightly tankier... <laughs> a tankier tank. Yeah, so really, you, didn't, yeah. you didn't take heavy armour and you went for the unarmoured defence. Hmm. That was purely for theme. Yeah. I was like, I, I cannot that. imagine why 
of Bjorning <laughs> would have like plate armor. No. Like why? <laughs> it just wouldn't make any like, sense you, at all. They wouldn't be able to forge that. So that just doesn't make any sense to me. It's pretty cool. I actually wonder if at some point in the future, one day, I don't imagine this will be the case, but just like that scene in Helm's Deep in the film yeah. where they're all putting on the heavy armour. Yeah. And you're like, it's car who just suddenly comes on. Everyone's like, wait, what? <laughs> you can wear armour all along. Yeah, and this AC like suddenly jumps up loads. And you're like, I mean, oh, although I don't know if it would be that much better, but it's, it's a nice, it gives you it gives you more options. And yeah. I'm now reading this section thinking, mm, Gondorian, you know. Gondorian Slayer, yeah, yeah. That would be that very would be cool. Quite cool. Yeah. So that that just never made any sense to me for Karu to to start wearing armor that he shouldn't really have any access to. Also, he's hard enough for you to kill as it is. Yeah, his hit points are ridiculous. His hit points are crazy. His resistance to everything when he's raging. Has he ever been unconscious? No, he's come close a couple of times. How many times? A few times. <laughs> a lot. Gundabad, I think, was probably the closest you came into. I think you were into single digit hit points. That Karu point. wasn't there. Oh shit! Yeah. 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 Oh. Yeah. Scott was there with a different character. Scott was there, but Carver wasn't there. Yeah. Oh, man. The armor thing, I think, is another... I I think I'm looking at this through the lens of playing Helmer. It's such a difference that he has a very high AC of Mm. 21. Hit point-wise, I think is I've always rolled for hit points. And I think he's actually below the the average curve where I could have been if I'd taken average roll. So he's very hard to hit, but quite squidgy. Mm. Whereas Carver's kind of the opposite. He's not hard to hit. But doesn't take a lot of damage. Yeah, I've also and has huge hit points. I I also like rolling whenever possible. So I've rolled every level up for Karu, and I've only like on three occasions not rolled a twelve. <laughs> so his hit points are insane. Yeah, yeah, he is he is a mountain of a man, as he said. Yeah, um, and then shall we continue reading down? Yeah, yeah so... so at six level, um, hooked and hast. Armour no longer impedes you in any way, so you add your full dex to your armour class, regardless of the armour rating. You're no longer subject to stealth disadvantage when wearing medium armour. I'm just reading that again. So that's really interesting, regardless of the type. So if you wear heavy armour, you can add your full dex modifier to it. So your AC would be bonkers. So great, great shield. So that means you could get the highest AC... You get a higher AC than any other class because yes, I think so. take a heavy armor, take a great shield. If you take, oh man, if you're yeah. Gondorian, you can take an heirloom tower shield, which gives you an extra plus. So you'd get a shield would be plus five. You could have, I think, with heavy armor, you could get an AC of sixteen, and then if you had high dex, you could get up to like twenty four, twenty five. Uh- You'd be, impo- you'd, you'd be impossible to hit. Don't do this. <laughs> you have to gear like all of your decisions around just getting yeah. a stupidly high AC. We're, we're planning a Gondorian campaign in the near future. Uh, James, if you're listening, don't do this. <laughs> please, 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 please don't do this. <laughs> but actually, if you did it, it's fine. It's fine. Um, what else do you get? Um, tenth level, um, Hammerhand. And this is something I was telling Callum earlier. I didn't actually realise Corhu could do this. So beginning at 10th level, your anger courses through your limbs. At all times, your hands now count as martial weapons. When you are in a battle fury, they do a base 1d4 bludgeoning damage and score a critical hit on a roll of a 19 or 20. The more important thing, which I didn't know, if you are fighting with a melee weapon other than your hands, then you immediately get a bonus unarmed attack. Wait, so you can just punch things as well? If you miss, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's cool. 
I can I can just go ah now I'm just going to punch you in the face. I just love the role playing. Yeah. Of the aspect of that is like you hit and then the end. You know I I think I role play like you know the orc laughs in the car who's face you know <laughs> as he misses him and then you just punch him in the face and kill him. You know like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> punch him in the face get a nineteen critical hit. You know boom. That that would be. Uh, so I will need to remember that ability for Carhu because that is very cool. So as a foe hammer, it's very much about being tougher and dealing kind of furious damage. It's almost like kind of a purer form of Slayer. It's just focused on Mm. being a tank, dealing a lot of damage. Yeah. Again, big guy that just (laughs) wanted to hit things. Um, That that made the most sense to me for Karhu. Um, It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun to to watch as a fellow player and kind of audience member. Karhu has been... I, well, he's he's my favourite character of, of the group. And I think it comes from the fact that he started as a very simple character. Mm. I think has actually left huge room for kind of growth. And yeah, I think there's so, so much we could talk about, and we will talk about now and in other episodes, of where he started from as an easy character for you to learn the game with, yeah. to 60, 70 sessions later, he's still in it as... And he's grown kind so of the much. the centre point of the campaign. And changed. Yeah. So just to run through a couple of the remaining abilities from Slayer. So we've we've got sort of level nine now with Carhu, aren't we? Yes, level nine. And um, some other things you've got. So black mist. So you get advantage on initiative rolls, and you can't be surprised, which is which is great. Um, you have like a danger sense. What's what's that under? I'm trying to remember that. Is that the vigilant? That's sense. the vigilant senses. Yeah. yeah. So like that comes up quite a lot. Role playing. Yeah. There's movement. Movement, yeah, you, you get, get extra, extra movement. Yeah. Yeah. So increased by ten speed, which has been really, really cool in that chase yeah. that we had. Yeah. We've talked about that. In so chase frustrating for Renan. And again, another oh, yeah, thing that really, dis- <laughs> really distinguishes from Halmer as a fighter is we're both frontline fighters, but you're much more mobile, which I think lends to the roleplay because you can always get to the enemies faster than I can, which I think fits with the idea of you yeah. charging in. Is yeah. you can actually charge in faster yeah. than anyone else can. I also think. The downside with being a purely martial character, because you don't really have any ranged... I know you've, I think you've maybe used it once or twice. I don't want to. Is you have to be adjacent to an enemy, which gives you that issue where if you have to kill something, which often you do, sometimes you're then like, there's nothing near me, I need to, I need to get into combat. So yeah. being more mobile, I think, helps. Because on the, the Fury, if you... If I don't hit or take damage... Yes. On a my turn. my rage drops, yep. furious yes. drops. So you have to be in the thick of combat to really get the benefit of your abilities. Yeah. Um, some other things that come and we've not got there yet. Pierced by many arrows at level eleven. If you drop to zero hit points, you can make a con saving throw. If you succeed, you actually just drop to one hit point, and then the DC goes up by five every time that happens. And envisaging Boromir, who exactly, actually, who I actually think yeah. is probably a warrior rather yeah. than a slayer. Oh, do, you? do you think he's a slayer? Well, I was reading oh! abilities. <laughs> Controversy! Yeah. Do you think maybe he's multi-class? Maybe he's multi-class. But this ability feels very much when he's trying to protect yes. the little ones. Like he fights off so much stuff yeah, there. Yeah, and he gets up again. And, and I'll, we, almost, we almost think about hit points as like you're getting hit and each time you're taking damage. And I think a better way of hit points is just like how resilient your, yes. your energy and yeah. your, your just general pool of resources. Yeah. It's not like because Car who's got more hit points, he is somehow more resistant you know, to... To stab some wounds, or his, you know, it's just it's an yes. abstraction of that ability to stay in the fight, whatever that envisages. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
So, so yeah, that's a really cool one. You keep coming back. Um, eventually, you get to the stage where your battle fury just continues unless you fall unconscious or you choose to end it. Um, and, uh, and then you get to a stage where you basically your strength checks can never be lower than your strength score. And in level 20, which... Scott and I were just reading before we started recording, and both being like, "What?" This <laughs> mental. There's a cap. Uh, yeah, your too. strength and con scores increased by four, and your maximum scores for that both of those is now twenty four, which is just like so crazy. There's a similar <laughs> sort of abilities in just... fifth edition, isn't there? I think it goes up to like, I think maybe the barbarian one is similar. It goes up that your strength goes up to twenty two. I don't think it's both strength and con go no. to twenty four. No, I mean that is insane. <laughs> There's, again, and again, in d d it's, it's tougher because of the level of magic. The disparity between people who can cast spells and people who can't means that when you get to high levels of barbarians or fighters or rogues, if you think about it, like, wizards at that level are able to, like, shape space yes. and time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, what could a barbarian do that's, like, equivalent to that? I, I really want to, because the, the um, oh, God, I've forgotten the name of the publishers that make the new Lord of the Rings role. RPG. Free League. The, the Free League version, the Lord of the Rings RPG, which um, I desperately want to get the book of and, and do review of, it goes to level 10. And yes. that's a very deliberate design choice. And I, the more I think about it, I think the more it actually makes sense. But reading these level 20 abilities in, in these characters, I'm now like thinking about what we mm. could do. Oh, if you did a high level... Yeah. I and I'm thinking. Here's here's my pitch. Oh. I don't know if you got pitches for level twenty. Think about yours now. Don't steal mine. Um, <laughs> I already have it, one. It's so. a calamity style game. No, I, I I want to write down my thing so that you're not going to believe I've just stolen it from you. you. Keep talking. It's a calamity style game. It's the fall of Gondor. No, <laughs> <laughs> I repeat, my fall of Gondor. <laughs> and you're all like. Elves and your leader of the houses, and there's like this huge in the in the book Fall Gondolin, which I, I think Scott's probably not read, but it's something I'm around not. here. It's this like amazing. It's very like uh, calamity, and if you know what calamity is, it's this amazing series of of games from uh, Critical Role, and it's like you know go back in time and they're all super leveled, and it's 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 just the best I think little mini series that they've done. It's so engaging, so fun. And, and, like, these, like, characters, like, building these rules in. And, and you'd have to do some homebrew, and I think you could bring in some more magical stuff. But like, really powerful abilities. It's a really cool, like, series of, of events. And, and what would you, what would we all fight in, in, in the Fall of Gondolin? Oh, I know what you've written down. So. <laughs> you've already known that I've written down. Balrogs! Balrogs! We just fight loads of Balrogs! That'd be so cool. We should do it. There's a, there's a dragon, cool. and, like, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty extras. Doesn't it? Okay, let's put a pin in this and think about this. A level 20 fall of Gondolin. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. So we talked about that because of Slayer. Um, <laughs> the other... one, one last ability to mention level 14 is a full hammer. You can choose to automatically score a critical hit in melee weapon with a weapon, but then your weapon is broken. Love oh, that. Oh. Such a cool idea. Mm-hmm. Or you can automatically destroy an opponent's shield. That's it's interesting. That's so cool. Because. Shield mechanics are something I think, and we've spoken about this in different games, are often kind of underdone in a lot of games. Shields are just like, you get plus two, and there's nothing else really about shields. Including the idea of being able to break shields, or shields being able to contribute in some other way. So I like the idea of an ability that can 
protect. Also, because some of the abilities, um, Halmir's shield, because it's a cultural heirloom, cannot be destroyed yeah, by specific non- mention to that. Specifically, it says it can't be destroyed by non-magical means. Interesting. But there doesn't appear to be that much about other shields being destroyed. So that feels cool, but not really an ability. I, yeah, and I'm very reluctant as a, as a lore master to, to come in and be like... You know, it's, what's those creatures in 5th edition that like turn weapons to rust? Oh, ru- uh, rust monsters. Uh, rust, rust, rust monsters? I think they're just called rust monsters. Yeah, and I think just like, when you've, when you've got stuff, and I feel this as a player, if I've got stuff, and then use a DM, Josh, we're like, well, oh, you're a really cool shield, or a really cool sword, mm-hmm. it's broken. I mean, like, that's just... <sighs> yeah, I, I think... I don't like that. You can have a lot of fun DMing if you, you create something where... It doesn't work temporarily for a reason, mm-hmm. and then you present the player with a new challenge. Like, oh, you would normally use that magical sword, but underwater you can't do that. So for one combat, you have to be creative. There's a big difference between that, which I think is fun, and just taking things away yeah, from yeah. the player, which is no fun at all. Yeah. yeah. So really interesting abilities, and as you get higher, I think uh, there's some. Oh, level ten. Oh, that's a different subclass. Ignore, ignore <laughs> Um, any other things that we've that are really like key mechanics you think, Scott, that's come out for you or, and did or you, things you wanted to draw particular attention to? Did you, when you were building, so you knew you wanted to be a Slayer? Yes. And some of these early abilities are very similar to what Grog would have had. Yeah. Did you read much further ahead in the Slayer? Like, did you look to some of these future abilities or nope. you were kind of just focused on these early? I didn't even read past my level. Oh, I okay. looked at the book and was like, right, I'm second level, I get this. Then I was like, oh, that's his third, don't look at it. Bang, done. I yeah. love how like good you are at uh, avoiding spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Because like, when I'm building a character, I'm like, reading ahead, and like, <laughs> what am I going to do in six years' time? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's very admirable. I, I, I think that maybe, I don't know how that ex- changes the experience. Everyone's going to be different, aren't they? But, um, yeah. So the other big half of character creation then is what culture you choose. Mm-hmm. You were very set on Slayer. Yes. Were you also very set on Bjorning, or did that require more decision-making? Um, it re- required a little bit more decision-making for me. Um, because I wasn't as familiar with Tolkien's work as I think some of the other players, mm-hmm. I didn't know as much. I mean, I've seen the films many times. I hadn't read the books at the time when we started. Um, so I read through... I think I read through all of the peoples of Middle-earth. The only other one that I thought about doing was a dwarf, because Um, that also mm -hmm. made sense to me, having a a dwarf that was so angry. Slayer dwarf, yeah. I'm just thinking how different the game would have been if you you and Stuart both been dwarves. Yeah. We would have been different. It would have been been so different. different. Um, Yeah. I then looked at Bjornings and was like, well, Bjorn's a big old bear. <laughs> kind of makes sense for someone that follows him as a leader to maybe have an anger management problem. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Feels very fitting. And you're more of a wild person than the rest of the people. That made sense. And that, combined with Slayer, combined with the background I chose massively helped me form who who Kari was. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, I like the idea of approaching it with, I know what class I want to be. Look through the cultures. Which ones of these cultures would it make sense to then turn into 
this class. So what abilities, class abilities, do you do you get access to? Because all the all the sorry, not class abilities, culture. All cultures have little buffs from the beginning, which kind of distinguish them from one another. So what what's different about Bjornings? <gasps> The doorbell has the rung. The doorbell has rung. Gondor calls for aid! The Calum shall answer. Alright, <laughs> so what do you get as a Bjorning? Um, ability score increase. Your strength score increases by one, and you may increase two additional ability scores by one. Which is pretty good. Yes, yeah, pretty good. Plus three. Is that standard amongst all the. No, coaches? they don't all get a plus three. Some get access to other abilities, though. Uh, oh, yes. That lends itself well to Slayer as well. Mm -hmm. Throwing the strength, leaning into that. So it kind of fits together, Bjorning, Slayer. Yep. How aware of Bjornings as a, as a culture... Now, the game leans into them being a culture. The books don't really go into it as much depth. I think we've spoken about before, the idea of Bjorn and the Woodmen in the books are not yeah. as defined as mm. separate cultures, but the, the game leans in that way. Did you know anything? Nothing. Nothing at all. I didn't know anything going in at all. Um, so it was all just like, all right, cool, yeah, read what the book says. That's that's what it is. And did um, you feel the book gave you enough to do that? Because that's we've spoken before, a lot of people who play this game will likely be fans of Tolkien. Mm -hmm. But because of that, the book probably has an excuse not to provide everything because they assume a lot of knowledge. Did you feel that, as someone who genuinely was starting from scratch, there was enough to for, work with? For me, yeah. For me, when... You'd look at the Bjornings page and underneath the lands of the bear. There was enough there for me where I was like, yeah, that I, I can come up with a character from this that mm -hmm. I feel would be an authentic Bjorn, as much as that is a thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, I also kind of like that it's not, you must be this. <laughs> you have to prescribe to everything. It's, there's enough there to flesh out a character yourself, but it's not overbearing. Was the way I thought about it. Pun <laughs> intended. Um, and the name Karu. Yeah, so that that isn't one of the names on the list. Um, this is something that I have carried into every character I have created yeah. going forward. Is that I choose a language. Oh, good. And then name them from that. So Karhu means bear in Finnish. Oh, I love it. I think. The Finnish fans are going to love that. <laughs> um, and They've been screaming that every time. <laughs> <laughs> One of our other players, Bert, um, his wife... Or her, her family, I believe, is from there, and he had a beer can called Karhu oh, during one of our yeah. games. I remember that. And I was like, that's so cool. Can you send me that can, please? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So that's how you envisage it as being a, a Northern European. I was going to say Scandinavian, but is Scandinavian one of these things where Finnish is not actually Scandinavian? Let's not get into that. Debate. Let's not get into that debate. Yeah. Although, feel free to email us at thefellowshipphase at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, I in my head, I was like, I don't want to make Karu Scottish because I'm Scottish. <laughs> I need him to be something other than me, Northern from that. And I thought, sort of, one of that part of the world yeah. um, seemed to make sense to me. Yeah, um, I, te I attempt a sort of Scandinavian accent for for people in the Andean Vale. Yeah. It, that sort of came to my mind as well. I yeah. don't know why, actually. No. Nope. But I guess it's north. Um, yeah. More north than us, yeah, I guess. I can just about manage one of those accents. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I can't. 
that's very cool. I think, I think you'd said that before about the name. I bet I'd forgotten it. I really like that. Um, and then Bjorn. Mm. Uh, there probably aren't any other cultures in the book quite so defined by one character from the lore yeah. as Bjornings. Did you know anything about him? Did you do any reading around Bjorn the character before we started? I'd or? read The Hobbit growing up. Okay. Um, so I, I was familiar with Bjorn and love animals. Um, so I thought it was very cool to be playing a character who c- kind of took their orders from a half man, half bear. Mm. Um, and had a real affinity for animals. Um, that that I really liked. Um, but I, I don't know, other than what I've learnt through our game and what I've read in The Hobbit and blacked out from The Hobbit films, um, <laughs> I don't really know much about Bjorn. Um, so it's I, like what we have learnt through the course of our game about Bjorn has been really cool. The well, lore's pretty sketchy. We're going to yeah. come on to the lore. We're going to come on to the lore. Yeah. It's, it's really, I find it really interesting. And it's one of those areas where there isn't much. So it gives you so much opportunity to be creative. Yeah. Um, one of the other things you get as a Bjorning is a starting virtue. So I think the two things that we've got left to talk about Karhu creating is mm. cultural virtue choice yeah. and background, both of which I think are ripe for discussion. Yes. Um, I actually wonder if we leave the background to the... Yes, I think we should do that. Let's talk about your starting virtue and let's tell our listeners what your background was. But not talk about it. Because I think that's so entwined with the the story of Karhu, which, because there's so much, and we want to talk about Karhu so much, we're going to split this up (laughs) and uh, give even more Karhu content. Karhu (laughs) miniseries. The Karhu phase. The Karhu phase. Okay. The bear phase, I guess, bear, that translates up. So. The bear necessities. The Wait, bear no. necessities <laughs> of Kahu. <laughs> <of Karu. laughs> Talk to us about your starting virtue. Yeah, um, my brain went down a weird rabbit hole there. Um, I took um, a Bjornian culture virtue of great strength. So underneath that, it says, Standing near was a huge man with a thick black beard and hair, great bear arms and legs, knotted with muscles. Your strength score increases by one. Um, and can move freely while fighting. You may profit from the great strength and nimbleness. And I, I believe if you're using encumbrance, you get to go one rank yeah. up if you care about that sort of thing. Um, so again, leaning into the strength of the Bjornings. Hit, hit things hard. Yeah. Very, very hard. Yeah, really hard. Um, there were... I, I think a lot of the Bjorning cultural virtues, which you all know well, yes. as playing Theodric, I thought a lot of them were really cool. Um, yeah, we've talked about the twice-baked honey cakes when we talked about Theodric. Yeah. Um, now, I think that you're on in the game, you... I have taken another one You since, picked up what, yeah. what, which one was I, it? I've taken Night Gore. Oh, it's um, so where cool. I can essentially have like a spirit bear leave me whilst I'm sleeping. And go. It'll probably tell me in here how far I can go. It's, it's very far. Um, but within three days, or three days travel, mm-hmm. I can run as the spirit and scout for the group, which I was, I thought was so cool. And also for Karu's story at that time, just made a lot of sense. Yeah, it really did. So it's been really helpful. A couple of key moments. Yeah. And then we were talking just before we started recording that there's a recent thing where. There was enemies coming. You knew they were coming. You didn't know where they were going, what they were going to do. You didn't know who they were. You just had like a prophecy vision thing from Torvald. 
and so Carhu did the scouting thing for three days and I didn't really know how far away they were so Scott rolled a D100 for how many hours they were. I didn't know what they were rolling for at that time. Yeah. But that was like how far away they were and rolled just over three days travel yep. <laughs> in time. But it was like a really like interesting moment of of this ability could potentially have completely changed the next like five sessions or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's such a cool ability. It, it feels, I think when you first, if you first read it, it feels ridiculously overpowered. Like, hang on, so in one night I can effectively see three days away. And you actually think about it, what, what you're really getting mechanically is some information about the kind of locale. Because you can't interact with the things that you nope. see. And you you don't get everything within three days. You describe and you've narrated like where the bear would be going. So I actually think it's a great example of giving loads of flavour and a benefit without it being ridiculously overpowered. Mm-hmm. And also as the DM you can... It's visible as well. Yeah. So people know that the orange are around. Like, you know, it's kind of... You know, it's not... It's not. I don't think it's... So, and it's only once per long rest. And long rests don't come around yeah. very often. So... Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's very really locative. Really I'm just thinking really there that I think one of the main strengths of this game are the cultural virtues. Yes. Like, they, they add so much flavour and they're really creative. Like, sometimes the classes can feel quite similar to D&D and, like, there's a lot of stuff lifted or, or just, you know, slightly edited, which is fine. I, I don't mind that. But here there's a lot of, like, really interesting and novel ideas. Mm. Well, it's interesting that for, we both started as a Bjornik. We both chose a cultural virtue, different ones. And it affected the role play of both of us. So Theodric took twice baked honey cakes because, and for me, I start to weave that in the story that he travelled a lot, so he needed food for the road, and he gave it as gifts because hmm. he met new people, and that became part of kind of his character, which I only thought of because it was a virtue. And then for you, for Carhu, hmm. again that idea of Bjornings and strength, yep, just becoming a bigger, bigger, stronger, bigger of a man. <laughs> like, yeah, that, that as soon as I read that one, I was like, you you doing that? That's what you're taking at first level. Makes a lot of sense. So our final question. Yes. Your background, all the characters get a background, which gives you your hopes and despairs, uh, and it also often gives you a a little additional flavour rule. Uh, Halmir, for instance, is Seeker of the Lost. We know that he's looking for his uncle. That was an easy decision. What did you pick from the beginning as your background for Karhu? Before I say, I just, this is my favourite part of this book. Yeah, is the backgrounds. Yeah. I I think for me, I'm going to turn to them right now. This every character I've made, this has been the thing that helps me come up with who that person is the mm. most. Is the backgrounds. Um, so for Carhu, it was doomed to die. Doomed to die. Doomed to die. Did he die? Find out <laughs> <laughs> on the next episode of. The Fellowship Phase. No emails except on party business. And comments, suggestions and questions to the fellowship phase at gmail.com. The long year turns to its close. 
much we have accomplished these last seasons. Our fellowship disbands, but is not broken, and we will return. On the next episode of The Fellowship Phase. <laughs>